0: thank you Um, they would take you and they would put a hook in your lip like you were a fish being caught they would then take and put a chain on that hook and connect you to the guy in front of you and they did that for everybody in the line why because if one of you started to fall behind or drift back you'd get yanked with that hook and if you fell then you had quite a sore, if you know what I mean. It's a gruesome kind of thing to do to, the, to people. And they would pierce other parts of the body and do the same thing. I won't get into all that. They, uh, two things they're known for, and that's um, why we believe that the Native Americans that came across the Bering Strait and into our country today, they didn't come till about 900 A.D forget what your textbooks and all the History Channel and all that are telling you. Um, It was was about 900 when the Iroquois and the Blackfoot and all those come over. And now um, Nathaniel Jensen of Answers in Genesis and his research is proving it. And uh, it's very interesting stuff. If you go on Rumble and look up Nathaniel um, Jensen, spelled like Gene, J-E-A-N, son, just look it up on Rumble. You can find it on YouTube if you're a communist, but if you want to use a non communist site, go to Rumble. And uh, it's very good information. But before that, where did they come from? I believe that they're going to continue to confirm that they came from peoples like the Assyrians. And that's why they come over here and what they do skin people alive, scalped people. Assyria was already doing that. They also initiated the use of crucifixion. And so, uh, David in Psalm 22 said that the Messiah would have his hands and his feet pierced. There was no execution method for that. No one executed people that way. And you think how would how would that kill you? Piercing my hands and my feet. Well, we found out later how it'd kill you: crucifixion. But it was about four or five hundred years after David before it was ever even put in use. That's prophecy, people. that's some serious prophecy right there. And uh, just amazing Bible prophecies that prove that he's the author. God is the author of that book. And then the fourth, or or that's a, I zoomed it in there for you in case you couldn't see it. Then the fourth chart um, has Hezekiah, shows the year 716. And uh, I won't get into the specifics of those, but those are all available online. Get those Um, charts, as we continue in verse 1, it says, it ends verse 1 ends saying, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem now there's several terms for each kingdom, you have to get used to this, after Solomon his son Rehoboam became king and the kingdom of Israel was split in two and all but three tribes went totally into the north and then in the south you had Judah which was the main tribe the levites they ended up all coming to the south because in the north uh Jehoshaphat set up a new religion yep. and didn't use the levites so they all and then you had Benjamin the huh the, the king that uh, split off from Rehoboam. Jeroboam? I mean Jeroboam. Jeroboam. Yeah. What? He said Jehoshaphat. Oh, I'm okay. sorry. Okay. Anyway, it's sorry. probably on the map there I just looked at. That's fine. Okay. Uh, that's Jeroboam the second. So the north split off from the south, yeah. the three kingdom the three tribes in the south. Yeah. And so you have the three those three tribes basically in the south. Judah being the main one. And so uh, you you get used to hearing north and south. It's kind of weird, but the north was called Israel. Mm-hmm. And the south was called Judah. That was kind of confusing to me because it's Israel. Israel is Israel, right? And there's times where the south is also called Israel. Kind of gives you some uh, confusion there. But if you just take care of the context, you won't get lost but a lot of times God will also just refer to the north as Samaria because that was their capital. And in the south, instead of calling it the kingdom of Judah, he would call, he'd just refer to Jerusalem. So that's talking about the north and the south. Yeah, and that's Samaria is the north and Jerusalem is the south. And that's the focus of Micah's prophecy as we continue. He lived in the south, as we showed you, um, but we will also denounce the north. He lived about the same time as the prophet Isaiah, as I mentioned earlier. And there's some similarity between those two books, and some have even called Micah a mini-Isaiah because of the similarities. I want to look at one. Keep your finger there on Micah. But look at Isaiah chapter 2. And uh, we probably covered this about a year and a half, two years ago in Sunday school. Isaiah chapter 2. And we'll just read this and then keep this in mind as you're reading through Micah. You'll see the gist of it. Uh, verse 1 uh, says, The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Um, verse 2 says, And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. That's talking about the second coming, Right? Now read verse 3 with me. And many people shall come, and, come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Keep that in mind because that's going to be Micah's kind of positive close He's going to say a lot of negative things. There's a lot of judgment. But the gist of Isaiah's message wasn't just or even mostly about judgment. It was, if you would follow God and follow the law, you would have it all. And there's coming a day when Israel will. And that's the same kind of message you're going to see out of Micah. Matthew Henry said, To convince sinners of their sins... By setting them in order before them. This is Micah's ministry. Charging both Israel and Judah with idolatry, covetousness, oppression, contempt of the word of God. Kind of sounds like our country. And their rulers especially. And he's talking about the good guys. The good rulers. They didn't despise the bad guys. Doesn't that sound familiar? Um Uh, both, he says, in church and state, he means the religious and the uh, secular, um, with the abuse of their power, we could talk about that right now in our country, and also by showing them the judgments of God ready to break in upon them for their sins. Just today, just today, uh, I informed about a dozen sodomites that judgment's coming. If they'd repent, God would save them. And what do you think they did in response? Mocked. Not me. Mocked Jesus. Called Him the J-man. And then one of them pretended to be a Christian. And he started referring to the J-man. Saying that the J-man will forgive you if you'll repent, telling me that. I told them that the J-man that they're talking about isn't the Jesus of the Bible, it's a damned devil. And a lot of people worship a false Jesus who is nothing but a damned devil. Literally. Literally. There's only one holy Jesus, and if your Jesus isn't the biblical Jesus, your Jesus is a damned devil. Amen. So I just want to point this out before we get jump in for the next few minutes. There are three main divisions in Micah, and it's God made it real easy on us here. When you see Micah say hear. I miss my grandpa. My grandpa Jordan, we always knew when he was serious because he'd say, Hear now. <laughs> Hear now. We'd be getting into something we shouldn't. Hear now. And that's kind of like Micah. And uh, we'll see as we start verse 2. Look at verse 2. Hear, all ye people. We'll come to chapter 3, verse 1. It'll say, And I said, Hear. <laughs> and then chapter 6, verse 1. Hear ye now. And those are just happen to be three different uh, divisions, the three divisions of this book. So uh, you can write that down if you want, but keep it up here. You know, some of you don't need notes. I know you don't need notes. You got it all up here. <laughs> but he talks about um, in the next few verses. We're going to see the two kingdom apostasy. That is the main point of this book, beginning in verse two. I uh, just got to say this: Our holy God must punish sin every book of the Bible in one way or another really lays that out God is holy he must punish sin Uh, look at verse 2 hear all you people hearken O earth and all that then therein is and let the Lord God be witness against you the Lord from His holy temple. And that's talking about the temple in heaven, by the way. The question to sinners is simple. Do you accept, remember what we just said, the holy God must punish sin. Do you accept the punishment Jesus suffered for you, which was more than the beatings, more than the crown of thorns more than the pierced hands and feet more than the sword in the side he took upon him the sin of the whole world the holy God in human flesh who had never known sin that in and of itself is beyond our comprehension of what he suffered amen and God poured out his wrath of all that sin upon Jesus. Now, I'll say something. He didn't go to hell and suffer. The Bible never says he went to hell and suffered. What it does say is that he took upon him the punishment of our sin, took upon him all of our sin in doing so, and fulfilled that requirement. God was satisfied with that. Will you accept the punishment Jesus suffered for you, or do you choose to suffer yourself forever? Hell is a hard pill to swallow, but when you just look at the bare facts, God has made a way for you to have forgiveness of sin, and be totally forgiven, and he just says but if you reject that you'll get what you want you have made the choice to go to hell you have made the choice to stand naked before a great white throne and be condemned by your works and to be cast into an everlasting lake of fire and it makes sense even though it's hard really to grasp it's legally sensible logically it's sensible sensible And that's the choice that we present to the world. Stop milk toasting the gospel for people if you're doing that. Too many people today try to make it palatable. and You know, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, right? That may be a cute song, but that's not Bible. And the gospel is supposed to bring a person to a full knowledge of their sin in repentance to their knees, or offend them. And if you preach the gospel and it doesn't offend them, you're not doing it right. Amen. The Bible's clear over and over. The gospel will offend if it's preached properly, unless that person repents. Right, that's right. And this generation is blowing it big time. The gazillions of millions that are being spent on TV preachers and all that, and you rarely hear an offensive gospel preached. And then you have the whole antinomian, hyper-dispensational crowd that says, oh, we don't need to repent. We just have to believe that Jesus died for our sins. Palatable. Making it easier to swallow. They're swallowing poison pills, not gospel pills. That's what's going on. Micah begins his prophecy by warning of the end time judgment on all sinners who have rejected him. Amen. False teachers then misconstrue these verses. Look at them. They're in verses 3 and 4. It says, For behold, the Lord cometh forth out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth and the mountains shall be molten under him. Does that, what does this sound like to you? Is that bringing Revelation 19 to mind, maybe? (laughs) And the valley shall be cleft as wax before the fire. Peter talked about everything, the elements melting (laughs) with fervent heat. There's just some of the things that come to mind when I read this. And as the waters that are poured down a steep place, which means it just cuts through everything, like it did during the flood. Now, False teachers pretend that this was fulfilled uh, when the rest of Micah's prophecies were fulfilled. And that's not the message here. Amen. That's not what's being said. He's basically saying listen, the Lord is going to judge sin and he's going to do it completely. And then he'll change the context. But obviously, this has never been literally fulfilled. So what happens? The false teachers say that just as these past prophecies were hyperbolic. <laughs> I like that word, but I don't like the way they use it. Uh, metaphorical. I had a guy, again, this happened today. Some guy ch- basically trying to rebuke me for because I take the Bible literally. He said that viewing the Bible the way I do, it's madness. And it destroys the allegorical method. Thank you. I, I certainly set out to destroy the allegorical method. I mean, the Bible is to be interpreted literally, unless it's telling you not to interpret it literally. As like me, I can tell you, I am really hungry. You should take that, Jenny takes that literally, and she'll have food ready, you know, as soon as ASAP. I, I'm just telling you, I'm a little spoiled. All i got to do is say I'm hungry. But when I look at her and say, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse, she doesn't run across the street and kill my neighbor's horse. <laughs> she understands that that's hyperbole. Yes. That's metaphorical, or whatever you want to call that. English teacher over there probably correct me. but I'm not being literal when I say I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. I'm not asking her to go kill the neighbor's horse. The Bible is really that simple. It's clear when the Bible is telling you not to uh, you know, interpret something literally. And, and when it's clearly not telling you to make it symbolic, then it's to be taken literally. And that's how simple it is. We're to take the entire book of Revelation, according to the false teachers, as being fulfilled in 70 A.D., and not literally, but metaphorically. Because I'll point at things, i say, well, when did that happen in 70, 80? Well, you have to understand the apocalyptic genre. And blah, uh, <laughs> blah, you know, it's, it's madness. Have you, how many of you ever sat down and tried to read a book on the book of Revelation from an amillennial perspective? It will make you think you've lost your mind. You'll be like, there's no way anybody was serious when they wrote this. Right. And what's comparable? Go read the Jehovah's Witness commentary on the book of Revelation. It's more stupid, but to me, they're in the, both in the same boat. Actually, it is. Because, you see, the good cults make it more believable. Jehovah's Witnesses will tell you one of the seals was fulfilled when the president of the watchtower gave a speech at Cedar Point. <laughs> Seriously. So, and that's why I'm telling you. I'm not telling you to waste your time reading those books, but if you want to and experience as you know, close to a self-induced brain aneurysm you can ever experience, then uh, go read these things. But back to reality. Verses 3 and 4 will happen. It's going to happen. It's not to be taken and thrown out as some kind of allegorical nonsense. In the meantime, uh, it's uh, Samaria and Jerusalem here in verse 5. For the transgression of Jacob is all this, and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? Again, who's Jacob? Renamed Israel. If you've been reading, uh, if you haven't been reading along with us, you're not reading through the Bible. Join us, because you'll find you'll understand the Bible a whole lot better if you read through the Bible at least once a year, once every two years. If you, you know, some people have trouble, especially at first, but at least do it, even if it takes you two or three years. Amen. And the more you do it, the more often you do it, you're gonna, these things are gonna jump out at you. Amen. Amen. And what are the high places of Judah? Judah's the what kingdom? Southern. and it says are they not Jerusalem what is Jerusalem the capital city of the southern kingdom see that and why does he say that because in Samaria and in Jerusalem when he is prophesying it's filled with idolatry and sexual licentiousness yeah. and intermingled they were having sexual orgies as part of the religious acts and worship that's what's going on the capital cities of the northern southern kingdoms Micah's prophecy begins with the north that's why we're cutting it off there verse 7 um, because the north was further into apostasy and if you just know your history the north would be judged first yeah. Assyria comes down 722 to 707 right in there totally destroys the northern kingdom It'll be about 606 to 586 when Nebuchadnezzar then comes down. Now, Assyria did attack the south, but God didn't let him destroy it yet. You can thank Hezekiah, I believe, and his leadership for that. But uh, later then, God allows Nebuchadnezzar to come down and destroy the south. But right now, he's going to pronounce the judgment on the north. And that's where we close here in uh, verses 6 and 7. Verse 6, read that again with me. Therefore, I will make Samaria as a heap of the field and as plantings of a vineyard. And I will pour down the stones thereof into the valley, and I will discover the foundations thereof. And that really just sounds like a, like the result of something like the Johnstown flood. <laughs> if you've never seen the documentary or read the book by David McCauley, I, I recommend it. It's a great Read and, and very interesting. and It's a major hi- event in uh, American history that most Americans don't know anything about. David McCullough wrote the book because he was so shocked that this thing happened and he hadn't learned about it before. And what do you have? That's a great description of what it looked like after. I don't know how many was it. Like uh, how many people you, you seem to be familiar? So I'm hoping maybe your memory's better than mine on this. I can't remember how many people you you. 2000? was a couple thousand. <laughs> I mean dozens of whole families wiped out just like that. They misused the money to fix the like our infrastructure across this country right now. Right. Johnstown. So it, it also sort of like the results of a nuclear bomb. <laughs> Look at it if you can see this. It that's what from the archaeological discoveries and everything, that's what they believe Samaria looked like. Beautiful. That was like white ivory. They said when the sun was hitting it. How many of you had to drive into the sun going home tonight? Uh, we were actually driving in uh, when the sun was at our back. And I've told her a number of times. I'm so glad the sun's at our back when I'm driving. You know, in here because it's so bright. Certain times of the year, especially, and they said the sun would reflect off that so bright that people would walk into town sh- sh- like this. You know, we would—they didn't have shades back then. You know, We'd put the sunglasses on. But it went from that to this. Wow. Just leveled, knocked everything down. Anything that had anything worth anything, they took. Just destroyed the place. 2, 000 people, 0, she's talking about the Johnstown flood yeah and and when you see the pictures they've got pictures in David McCullough's book and in that documentary by PBS I think it was PBS has done some decent documentaries especially when they were done 20 years ago but uh, they have pictures that describes what I remember seeing in the pictures and it's like that so verse 7 then says, And all the graven images thereof shall be beaten to pieces. Amen. Praise the Lord. And all the hires thereof shall be burned with fire. What's that mean? All the hires. It's the gifts that were given to prostitutes. (laughs) Remember Judah? Who the southern kingdom is named after. And he ends up thinking he's going to be with a harlot. It ends up being his daughter in law who had married. Uh, Ur and Onan and they had died and they were wicked and so she was promised the third son Shelah Mm -hmm. and (laughs) Judah's like okay I gave her the first two and they're dead (laughs) and so he says go home for a little while and when Shelah grows up and he never did give Shelah to Tamar so Tamar pretends to be a hooker and Judah was not a really good guy. I mean, he was a decent guy, but he you know, and so he goes into what she do? She took something for hire. What was that? A goat? And he didn't have it on him. so she says, well, um, give me your signet, your bracelet, and your staff, and then uh, when you bring the goat, I'll trade him. And then just to complete the story here, he gets he, he she gets pregnant by him, and someone tells him, and he, what's he he's like well what a wicked thing for her to have sex outside of marriage and get pregnant like that bring her here so we can burn her burn her burn her and then they bring her in and she says take this things, these things of Judah and say whose are these that's who the father of my baby is and it was his stuff then all of a sudden he gets humble kind of reminds you of His name, Jimmy Diamond? Oh, yeah. Jamie Diamond? You know, it just, I don't know, it reminds me of that. All of a sudden, he got nice (laughs) because he's getting beat. And uh, Judah, he's like, oh, she has been more righteous than I. Well, that was true. He kind of seemed sincere and everything, got that all straightened out. That's what it means when it says, the gifts that were given to prostitutes, the hires thereof, shall be burned with the fire. (laughs) you may make some money and I say this and I get in trouble I don't care I'm going to keep preaching it because it's the truth you are supposed to as believers believe God you're supposed to be a part of a local church fellowship and if you can't attend one then you join one online We're, we welcome you here but if you find another Bible believing church power to you but no matter where you are you are supposed to give a certain amount of your income to support the Lord's work And you can keep that money and buy the crap that you fill your closets and your garage and your attic and everything with. And you know what's going to happen to it in the end? It's going to burn. And you are going to lose reward because you could have funded God's work. Instead, you funded your belly. And right now, I just know too many preachers that can tell me the same story that I know. There are going to be a lot of Christians who are just going to watch everything burn. Lose reward. And God compares that kind of thing to the money and gifts given to hookers, prostitutes, Christians, not supporting his work and using that money for the lust of the flesh. You might as well send that check to a hooker in God's eyes. For she gathered it of the hire of an harlot. She being Assyria in this case. Who was paid by Israel like a man hires a prostitute. And you kind of think of Judah the man paying the prostitute. That's the way Judah the kingdom and in this case Samaria the northern kingdom paying off Assyria. And what's... it have got to get moving. I've talked too much. but It says and they shall return to the hire of an harlot. Israel's pay for protection just went to fund Assyrian idolatry. God never told him to do that, but that's what they did. Instead of turning to God and trusting him, Israel paid off Assyria like the hire of an harlot, like they were hiring a prostitute. Real quick, I know we're going over it a little bit, but go to 2 Kings. This won't take long. 2 Kings 5:20. Fifteen. Yeah, fifteen twenty. It's Menahem. Menahem. Yes. Thank you again. That's twice in one night. Jenny, Jenny Obo saved me. First Kings or Second Kings, fifteen. Of course, this has happened when I've already gone over a little bit. But look at that now. Second f- Kings, fifteen twenty, and Menahem exacted the money of Israel, even of all the mighty men of wealth of each man 50 shekels of silver to give to the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria turned back and stayed not there in the land. So it worked, right? I mean most Americans that's how they think it's pragmatism and they'd be like oh that's great policy kill the babies so we don't have to feed them. Yeah that's how Americans think, yeah. It worked until it didn't. Nine verses later. Oh, Jenny, you're not even looking. I knew you'd like that. Since you already saved me twice, I want to make sure you saw it. All right, look at verse 29. In the days of Pekah, remember I told you the bad guy? King of Israel came Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and took Ijon and Abel meachah and Genoa and Kedesh, and Hazor and Gilead and Galilee, all the land of Naphtali, and did what? Didn't work really, did it? <laughs> the bottom line, as we close, do things God's way, or the hard way. That's it. You, you. How many have you? I'm, pre, you know. I've done it myself. You could do things God's way, but then you choose to do it your way and it ends up being the hard way. Amen. So many examples we could give of that. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this uh, little book, Power packed with so much in it. Thank you for helping us to understand it and helping... Me to prepare and even making some typos and things, we still get a pretty good picture out of the first seven verses. We want to learn by the examples, including the bad ones, learn not to do those things. Lord, we pray for our own country, though, as we see the reflection, it's like a mirror. Looking at apostasy in the northern kingdom and seeing what's happening in America today. We love our country, but we know that it's deserving of judgment. We thank you for your long-suffering and mercy. And of course, we pray that we would never be a part of the problem and always be part of the solution. Faithfully living according to your word and preaching the truth of your word.